Knicks Ethos New York Knicks podcast. Andre Gallagher coming off an impressive Nick victory against the Atlanta Hawks. I don't care if DeAndre Hunter didn't play. I don't care if DeJounte Murray got hurt. I don't care. Nobody looks at injuries when they're looking at anyone else's record. So uh, why is it the case against the Knicks all the time? People want to make excuses for their wins. Nobody makes excuses for their losses. Take this victory. Take victories in general where you can get it if you're rooting for them to win as a Knicks fan. Uh, many Knicks fans that are not. But take this victory however you get it. Another impressive defensive performance at home where they're giving up less than 90 points for the second straight game. Gave up 81 points against the Cavs. Gave up 89 points in this game against the Hawks. And again, stop with the excuses. The Hawks are perfectly capable of scoring 110 points with the lineup that they had last night. No DeJounte, no John Collins. They don't use John Collins right anyway. They just stand him in the corner most of the time. And they had guys standing in the corner last night. DeAndre doesn't do anything but score anyway. And very rarely does he create his own scores most of the time. So this 89 points is not because no one else played. This 89 points is because the Knicks defense was locked down. I don't care who was on the court. And that starts with Quentin Grimes, who's in the starting lineup. So, of course, you're setting the tone. And his physicality on those screens is the difference for the Knicks. It gives everybody a chance to recover in that starting lineup. The starting lineup defense is still going to be shaky with Lazy RJ and Lazy Julius. But it does have Mitchell having Grimes at the point of attack. Navigating those screens is everything for the Knicks. And defense like that is contagious. The way he can test shots, the way he closes out, the the energy and effort, the way he shoots passing lanes, the way he'll come off his his man to contest a shot, even if it may not be his rotation, is contagious. And that's what the fans love to see, and that gets the fans engaged. Secondary, but it is important because the Knicks sometimes play at a church. Fans don't make much noise. They're uninspired because they don't see inspired effort. When they do see inspired effort, that's when the fans really get into it. And Grimes is that guy right now. And he had a great night shooting the ball, 5-7 from 3, 21 points in the game, plus 23. Plus, wait, 23 points in the game, plus 21 in the game. I was second highest on the team, second to Julius, who had an outstanding night last night. Give him credit, 6-12 from 3. But once again, I was just talking about Julius with somebody yesterday before the game, talking about his up and down play and what he doesn't do. And the numbers are sometimes deceiving. You saw him do this against Detroit and then against the Bucks, he was a no show. Because his shot selection is still poor. He just hit those shots last night, but the next night he'll come out, he'll take those same contested shots and he'll miss them. And then it becomes a downer for the whole team. So he just needs to, it was a good game for him last night, not going to shade him, but he needs to know when to pull that ball down and put the ball on the floor and attack the basket. And he attacked the basket a good bit last night, to his credit, but he's not attacking closeouts the way he should. He's still trying to shoot over closeouts. There was a opportunity last night where two guys were closing out on him, and he still shot it. Those are the shots that need to stop. He had a lot of heat checks last night when the game was out of hand. I'm not going to hold that against him, but that's just a not, it's not a good shot. You see RJ do that sometimes too. He's very quick on the trigger. 
when there's another pass to be made, a rotation that could be made, a closeout that could be made. He shoots like he's Luke Kennard out there. Quick trigger when the ball finds you and there's people closing out on you. Attack. But Julius has been really bad at that. And when he has a good night like last night, it's it's like sometimes it's a double-edged sword because now Julius feels empowered to shoot the ball and he's going to come out in the next game and he's going to shoot rather whether defense is standing there or not. And that's the shot that I don't like personally. Put the ball on the floor and attack the rim. And you saw him do that a little bit last night, not necessarily on closeouts, but when he had opportunities. When he was holding the ball at the top of the key, I don't like holding the ball and then shooting a mid-range jump shot. That, that pisses me off. You want to hold the ball while there are cutters around and movement around you, that's perfectly fine. But I still want you to attack the rim at the end of that. Don't go into a fallback mid-range. I don't care what the situation is. Put pressure on the defense. Those are the type of shots that he has he has slowed down on this year, but you don't want to see that change. And you have to be on high alert with the removal of Derrick Rose from the rotation, the second unit needs more shot creation. And what you saw last night is you saw Julius put back in shot creation mode where he hasn't been this year. And that was where he was the first two years. Obviously, you saw success in the first season and disaster last year. He can do a little bit of that. You don't want to have to depend on that night in, night out. But those decisions have consequences on the court. And he has to be good with those decisions. And the ball's going to be in his hands to create shots, high post. That was a good thing that they did. They didn't give him necessarily the ball at the top of the key, at the top of the three-point line, and ask him to ISO and beat people at the dribble. They gave him the ball in the high post, which is good. But if that's where he's going to get the ball now, that can't end in those mid-range jump shots he took the first two years he was here, hit year one, and didn't hit, hit year two. He has to attack the rim. The difference this year, though, is last year he was predictable with that shot, whereas this year he's not so much so, so it may not be as contested, but he needs to still put pressure on the rim. Get to the free throw line. Make them, make them stop you at the basket. He still bails himself out going to the basket looking for the, the rip-through foul, which pisses me off. But the closer he is to the basket, the more likely he is to make those hanging-in-the-air awkward shots where you were trying to get fouled and the whistle didn't come. But what you saw last night was yet, again, more acknowledgement that IQ on the ball is just not a strength right now. It's not necessarily a weakness, per se, but it's not a strength. The Knicks' second unit was a rudderless ship because IQ was leading the way in the half court. He is not great at it. He pounds the ball too much. He doesn't get what he's looking for very often. So he just resets it, and the ball doesn't move. It sticks with him a little bit too much. And it's frustrating because Grimes is a pretty good pick-and-roll attack guy. They don't even ask him to do that, which is again why Tibbs is frustrating and I've said it a million times I'm not a hate Tibbs guy I'm not but that is frustrating you know he's good on a pick and roll how come he's never doing it in that second unit you're doing high post offense with Julius Randle fine I'm I'm okay with it as long as as Randle's shot selection is good I'm okay with that 
But why wouldn't you do pick and roll with Quentin Grimes, who's good at it? Why wouldn't you put the ball in his hands? He's good at getting into the paint and creating offense for people. Why wouldn't you do it? Quentin Grimes can create his own shot, but he's not asked to do it on this team when he's in the game. And I get it in the first with the starters. There are too many guys who are doing that. But when Jalen Brunson's down on the floor, why wouldn't you ask him to do it? They clearly understand that IQ can sometimes slow the offense down looking for shots off the screen and roll and take too long doing it and not move the ball enough. They get it. So their answer is, okay, when Julius is still on the floor, let Julius work out of the high post and see what he can create. All right, I get it. But you also have another weapon on the floor. The second option should not be The second option would be Julius in the high post, or maybe the first option. The third option should not be McBride pick and roll, even though that's not bad. He's he's not bad at it, but he's not shown anything at the NBA level yet. The third option should be Quentin Grimes while he's on the floor doing pick and roll. Why wouldn't you do that? That's annoying. It's just annoying. It really is. But IQ really does have to get better if there's going to be no Derrick Rose, and I've been talking about this since the preseason. Derrick Rose has to be the primary with that second unit because he attacks the rim. His pick-and-roll offense is efficient. Even without the screens, he's able to get into the paint and score efficiently, whereas IQ very much slows the game down and doesn't get much out of those possessions. Where he's good is transition and secondary transition. Where he's great in the half court is playing off the ball. Because he makes much quicker decisions and it's harder to guard him. That ball gets swung his way. He'll either shoot it. He can pump fake it and sidestep and put it up. He can attack the closeout and get to his floater game without the defenses knowing exactly what he's trying to do. They're having to rotate because of the quickness of the play. The ball moves quick. The defense has to move with it. The ball finds him. He makes quick quick decisions and they can't measure what he's going to do. Which is what they do with the screen and roll offense. With pretty much all of the Knicks. They measure what they're going to do. They screen from the top of the key all the time. They don't vary how they attack it. You saw McBride snake the pick and roll late in the game and get Sims and Aliyup. You don't see IQ snake the pick and roll very much, not effectively. These are things that Quentin Grimes is a good mid-range shooter. Off the dribble, you wouldn't know it if you are a casual Knicks fan or an observer. You wouldn't know that, but he is very good at shooting the ball off the off the dribble, even from three. And he's not asked to do it, which is annoying. And he's not asked to do it in the half court, in the mid-range, off the pick and roll. And I understand, oh, you don't want to shoot the mid-range. I get it, but these are short mid-range shots. These are shots that Chris Paul has made a career making off those. He can, he can hit those shots. And if you don't want him to take that shot, he's good at getting to the rim and finishing two, and he's good at getting to the rim and making acrobatic passes to the big man, something that most of the Knicks are not good at. Elevating and then finding, making the center, the defensive center, elevate with them and then passing the ball underneath their arms. Something you don't see many Knicks do. He's good at doing that. So why wouldn't you ask him to do it? It's annoying. So you're going to see Julius Randle attacking while he's still in the game with the second unit. You're going to see him being a primary attack guy, creating offense for people. You're still going to see... The high pick and roll from them. Hopefully IQ gets more efficient with it. But you're going to see McBride do it more. You're going to see Randall in the high post more. Unfortunately, you're probably not going to see Quinton do it. That's going to be annoying. But the defense, again, 
off the charts, especially when that second unit comes in and McBride. Like casual Knicks fans, casual observers who don't think McBride is worth anything. I understand you have not seen any offense from him, so it's easy to just dismiss him as a defender, dismiss him as Frank Nilakina. And trust me, I'm a Frank Nilakina fan, even though he's not worth a lottery pick, and that was a mistake lottery pick. Well, I, he's not a point guard. I'm a Frank Nilakina fan in terms of his defensive acumen. I really think he changes the game defensively. I made the case for this before, the way Dallas used him in the playoffs last year against Phoenix and Golden State. If you, you're sleeping, if you don't see his value defensively, it's just that he's not a good offensive player and he was never a point guard and he shouldn't have been a lottery pick. So comparing him to Frank Nilakina defensively is not the slight you wanted to be. Or comparing him to Frank Nilakina as a, as a player in general is not the slight you wanted to be, but is also misguided. He is an actual point guard, whereas Frank wasn't, and he has abilities from the point guard position that Frank did not have. You're not seeing it at the NBA level, so I'm not going to roll around in the dirt with you about it until you do. But having him on the court defensively is such a game changer. And when you see Grimes, IQ, and McBride on the court at the same time, causing havoc defensively, getting into passing lanes, making driving difficult, putting a body on everybody, making screens difficult... The difference between the defense, the point of attack on screens with McBride quickly and Grimes, cats aren't coming off those screens in straight lines, coming downhill, making it difficult on Mitchell to guard both the the ball handler and the roller. They're coming at a wider angle because the, these guards get around those screens better and they push the ball handler away from straight lines they make it a little bit of a wider attack which gives Mitchell a little bit more time to recover and guard the front of the rim and it gives the ball the point of attack defender an opportunity to get back in front and contest the ball handler because they're not directly behind them the way they are when you don't get around those screens that's issue one for the Knicks defense because there there needs to be so much rotation to the perimeter because they're cutting off the paint attack. If the paint attack is happening faster, where everyone has to react faster to cut it off, it's almost impossible to get back out to the three-point line. If you can slow down the initial attack, even a little bit, just a tick, so that people can hedge and recover with a little bit more time without having to panic to cut people off, panic defense to cut people off, that's what the Knicks don't cause on their own offense, even though they're, again... I have to make the point because people act like the Knicks are averaging 85 points per game. The Knicks are scoring a lot of points, but they don't often enough from enough positions make defenses react quickly or have to react quickly to their attacks. They are measured in their attacks too often. So guys can just stand and predict what you're going to do. So when you make the pass, it's not really an open person because they knew you were going to make that pass. Everything is predictable because you're not attacking fast you're not making defenses rotate rj's attacks are very slow julius attacks are too seldom he will settle for bad shots brunson will attack and often finish as opposed to creating when he gets into the paint so obviously quentin grimes can do a lot of those things that the knicks need him to do he attacks quickly he can finish he makes defenses have to move quickly to cut him off but he doesn't get enough of those opportunities just yet Everything is too slow and too predictable 
on the on the offensive end for the Knicks, but other teams do not operate like that. They have guys that are capable, especially coming off those screens, to attack quickly, make you have to rotate quickly, and then the passes are much cleaner and to much open, much more open shooters because you had to break your neck to cut somebody off. Now, because the point of attack is not so quick, is not so comfortable. I talked about DeJounte Murray in the last Atlanta game where he was floating around the court with no resistance, just comfortable in all of his movements, and he wasn't the only one. SGA in his game against the Knicks at the Garden, it was the same exact thing. The Knicks, he was comfortable out there. He was comfortable in his movements. The Knicks were just flying around the court trying to stop everything, whereas OKC was very exacting in their movements and their passes and their attacks because the Knicks were predictable defensively and they were getting by people very easily. Now with this screen defense, that's not the case. Everything is a grind off those screens. It's harder to find shots. It's harder to find open people because now there's it's easier to hedge and recover because guys aren't coming off those screens like a bat out of hell, driving in, light, in straight lines. That's why Grimes' defense is so important for those of you who are shading him and don't understand why the Knicks didn't want to trade him. Now you're seeing it. He is changing the Knicks' defense in that starting lineup, changing it by himself. Now, of course, if the Knicks play a team like Boston, who's murdering everybody, where they have two tall, big, tall guys who can shoot over you, Grimes is going to have a harder time guarding those guys. They're not necessarily screen-centric in their attack, but you can't worry about stuff like that. But big guards who don't need screens can just shoot over you and attack with, attack you with size. Knicks are going to have they're going to have trouble guarding those guys. They just are. But most of the league base bases their offense on screen attack. So the Knicks get run through not being able to slow those attacks down. And people are asking me, why don't you mention Brunson? Because I don't think Brunson's defense is as bad as people make it. I think he's not he's not a deterrent defensively. He's not making he's not scaring people in any way. But he's also hidden pretty well. He's doing okay guarding the people he's guarding. He should not be guarding the point guards. And he often isn't. He often isn't. The problem is, before Grimes was playing, Cam had to, or RJ had to guard those guys. And RJ's been terrible defensively. And RJ hasn't, and Cam wasn't good on screens. But now that you have Grimes, you have somebody who can guard the, the attack, the point of attack. And it helps them defensively because they have two guys on the front line and RJ and Julius who can be very lazy defensively in rotation. So slowing everything down helps them. And then you have a second unit that now has quickly has been great defensively all year. Now it has McBride who is excellent at that. Sometimes his size can get him in trouble. Guys will raise up and shoot over him, but McBride makes people uncomfortable. He makes people turn the ball over just being in passing lanes, just being solid defensively. Just being in people's face, just being a bugaboo. He makes people uncomfortable. There were too many players who were comfortable against the Knicks. That's why the team shot the way they did, because they were comfortable. They knew where the shots were coming from. They knew they were going to get the shots. They knew the timing of the play. These guys are breaking that up. My only fear with these guys playing is uh, two. Grimes getting hurt. McBride getting hurt, quickly getting hurt. 
because there's nobody else on the roster who can do the things that they're doing. And I'm afraid that they're going to go into doldrums offensively the way they did. And I believe it was the second quarter last night. They went into to the doldrums offensively because their coach will let them down in terms of finding offense. There are weapons. There are bullets in the chamber that Tibbs will not use. He will stick to his guns and keep doing the same silly thing that's being stopped too often. And I understand the Hawks played zone last night. And there's only but so much scheming that you're going to be able to do against a zone when you're a poor shooting team. There's only but so much scheming you're going to do. Your paint scoring team going against a zone is going to be a, a little bit of an issue if you can't shoot. But there are different things that they could do. And Tibbs doesn't always do it. But he does. He does. He has come up with some new attacks this year as opposed to last year. They get the ball in the middle of the zone. Julius Randle in the high post. You can tell it. That's the focus of the offense a lot of times. They tried to snake around with Brunson a lot against the zone. Didn't get much out of that. But again, Quentin Grimes is more of a weapon offensively than just a spot-up shooter, and they need to use him for that. Very good at attacking the rim. Very good at creating offense for, for his teammates. This guy's untouchable to the franchise, and that's been a running joke for a lot of the season while he was struggling. And I think it's a joke to people who just don't. I mean, let's be honest. Some of these some of these fans are just they're Nick fans. I had a guy on Twitter. I was on a Twitter thread where they were discussing potential trades for Derrick Rose. And they threw out some names and they said, these are the only guys where you can trade straight up for Rose, just 1v1 um, because of the salary cap, which was obvious to most Nick fans, right? This guy comments, he says, why are you trying to match the salaries? Why does that matter? Man, listen. And then he got indignant about it when people were like, what? Listen, man, you can't be a Nick fan and not be an NBA fan. I, I hate telling people how to be fans. I get it. But if you're going to be a part of the conversation, you have to at least know some basic things. Educate yourself on the league and the rules if you're going to be on Twitter tearing people down. You don't even know what you're talking about. We can have a difference of opinion and everybody has a, a basic set of facts that we're working from. But if you don't even know how the salary cap works, come on, what are you doing? You've seen a lot of shade for Quentin Grimes because the reports came out. And you guys put a, way too much stock in some of these reports. You take, you, you take them, you look at them in a vacuum. You don't look at them in their totality. There's a lot of different reports out there saying a lot of different things. Grimes being untouchable is an overstatement. Grimes was in a lot of those Donovan packages that were reported so reports saying that they didn't want to trade Grimes for Donovan have now become you didn't get Donovan because you didn't want to trade Grimes. So Grimes has to, on Twitter and in conversation, Grimes is now somehow having to live up to not being or live up to being the reason why Donovan Mitchell's not here. What an incredible twist of facts that became. That's ridiculous. That said, the Knicks do value Grimes, and they should. But don't just have him out there as a bit player when he's probably the best overall all-around player on the team, second to Brunson. 
Don't have him take a back seat to flawed players like Randall and RJ when he should be the guy who's driving his ship second to Brunson. And especially in that in that uh, backup lineup in the second unit. When he's playing with them, he should be running the ship. He shouldn't just be out there spreading the floor. McBride, back to McBride though. His offense is the other scary part of that second unit. I believe if you know McBride, if you've been following him, McBride will go to the G League and average 35 points a game and shoot the lights out. And I understand it's the G League, and I get it. Please understand me. I get it. It's the G League. But it's really, to me, a false notion to suggest that somebody can go to the G League and shoot well and then come to the NBA and not be able to hit a three-point shot. I'm not saying that he sh- he's going to be Trey Young here. Let me not even say Trey Young. Trey Young is a streaky shooter. Trey Young is closer to John Stark shooting threes than he is Steph Curry. Let me just let's just be clear. Can we be clear about that? Can we stop the Steph Curry comparisons? Trey Young is shooting like 30% from three. He is a streaky three-point shooter with great range. He is an excellent passer. He is a murderer of drop coverage. He, there are a lot of things that he does very well. He is super quick, but he's very much a lightweight attack guard who is limited in his options, and if it wasn't for the ticky-tack foul calls, would be even less efficient than he is right now, which is incredibly inefficient. He will only shoot that floater with his right hand. He very rarely, if ever, shoots it with his left hand. He was completely taken out of the Miami series last year. You had never seen a guy have such a drop-off from his regular season scoring average to his playoff scoring average the way you saw Trey Young have against the Miami Heat last year. The Miami Heat knew exactly what to do against Trey Young. He is a regular season all-star. In the playoffs, he murdered that one season. Give him credit. But the book is out. He has to improve and become more efficient in his game and his game style. This guy's walking around in New York talking about he's king of New York. He has a losing record against the Knicks in his career. I understand he beat the Knicks in the playoffs. Congratulations. Congratulations. You did. Give him credit. He shot terribly in that series. He had two excellent shooting games. In the rest of the, shoot, the rest of the games, he shot less than 43% in the series. In the game, the deciding game that everybody made him a superhero for, where he scored 35 points, he shot terribly in that game. Piled on the points when the game was over in garbage time. People want this narrative so bad. It is so much more style than substance with Trey Young. Walking around with a king of New York on your sneakers and you got blown out. Because you won a playoff series two years ago when you had the better team, frankly. I don't care if the Knicks were the higher seed. Get over Can you stop saying Knicks were the higher seed by one game? I don't even think, I, I think they were tied. Without even looking it up because I'm not going to bother with it. I'm pretty sure they were tied. The Knicks won a tiebreaker. If anything, they were one game better than them. The Hawks started that season off terribly and went on a great run at the end of the year to get to the fifth seed. And you're going to talk about the Knicks were the higher seed? The Hawks were a better team. Stop it. And he didn't even have that great of a series. He's walking around king of New York. King of New York? 
Stop comparing this fool to Steph Curry. He is nowhere near Steph Curry. Nowhere near as good as him. And I don't care if he beats up on the Knicks here and there. The Knicks are not that good of a team. People love playing here. We all get it. He ain't the only one. DeJounte Murray came in here and probably had a better game against the Knicks than Trey Young has ever had. To be frank. Anyway, my point about McBride. I'm not saying that McBride is going to be a great three-point shooter here, a dynamic three-point shooter here, off the dribble, you go into the screens, I burn you. I'm not saying he's going to be that guy. I'm saying his college career and his career in the G League, career, quote-unquote, career in the G League, his games played in the G League over this season and last, and summer league, have shown that he can at least hit an open shot. That's all I'm saying. Please do not combat me with this G League. It's an open shot. And he can hit it. Not saying he's going to shoot 40%. I'm saying he can be an average three-point shooter. I'm saying he can be an average finisher in the paint. But I'll focus on the shooting. The paint defense is going to be different in the NBA. There's going to be less of a less of a correlation between success in the G League and success in the league. Scoring in the paint in the G League is going to be way easier than scoring in the paint in the NBA. But shooting an open shot, a catch-and-shoot open shot, I'm not saying off the dribble, I'm not saying anything. Catch-and-shoot open shot, if you can shoot well in the G League, logic would suggest that you can shoot well in the NBA. To a reasonable degree, he has been a terrible shooter in the NBA. This He hasn't played much this season, he didn't play much last season, but last season too. I think he is a better shooter than what you've seen. I think he is more capable of hitting outside shots than what he's shown. And if he's just a 34% three-point shooter, a consistent 34%, unlike Randall, who'll be lights out one game and then go one for 11 the next, just a consistent 34%, then he will be in a, maybe a slightly higher percentage from the corners if he's ever there. He's probably not going to be there very often. He will be such a plus player for the Knicks with his defense. If he does nothing else, because he'll he'll rarely be in a position where he's the only primary ball handler on the floor. So anything that he does on the ball is gravy. But he has to be able to hit that outside shot at a better rate. I think, and I believe this last year, I think it's a little stage fright with him shooting the ball. I think it's in his head a little bit. And I'm hoping that more playing time will get him out of that. He's never gotten a consistent opportunity to play. And that's going to hurt guys shooting the ball, some guys shooting the ball. The Knicks just don't have those pros that can just come in the game, knock it down. Every other team in the league has a guy, has guys that can come in and they can at least be serviceable shooting the ball when they're open. When the, the Knicks, their guys come in, it's every excuse in the world. Well, he can't shoot because he doesn't play enough. He can't make, he can't, he's out of rhythm because he doesn't play enough. That's what people say about Cam. And I, all I'm saying is you got to be solid in what you're asked to do. Just like players all around the league. I don't care if you play five minutes or 15 minutes, 30 minutes, be solid in what you're being asked to do. You're not going to be a lights out shooter when you play inconsistent minutes, but you can, you can damn sure be greater, better than one of 16 the way McBride has and I don't want to tear him down 
but he has to be a better shooter. He is a better shooter. He has to get out of his own head. He has to start knocking these shots down. And the excuse of he's not playing consistent minutes is, a, is an excuse that he's not going to have very much longer. And speaking of, I'll close the show on this. You guys got to quit it with Cam Reddish, man. I get it to some degree. The way you guys act like Cam Reddish needs to be in his rotation is so incredibly backwards to me. The team has had two of the best defensive efforts on the season after this rotation change, and you guys still talking about how Cam Reddish needs to play. Where do you want him to play? You guys never answer that question. Where do you want him to play? Because you know what? The only minutes that Cam Reddish is going to get are minutes taken away from Randall and RJ, and most of you don't want that to happen. Most of you are either RJ stands or your Julius Randall stands. You want the minutes to come from Grimes, Quickly, and McBride, and that's where you guys fail. That's what you guys don't understand. Those guys don't need minutes taken away. They need minutes added on. They are difference makers on this team. If you want Reddish to play, those minutes need to come from Randall and RJ. Simple. But when Reddish has played and he's gotten his opportunities, he has not consistently been solid offensively. Defensively, he's been pretty good. He's not getting around screens very well, but he's been better than RJ. So he definitely deserves some of RJ's minutes. But offensively, he has not been solid. He's been worse than RJ offensively. Do you understand that? And don't give me the numbers because it's on very low volume. On very low volume. If I want somebody, if I say I want somebody to give me 20 points. It, listen, this is not, this is not a credit to RJ. The fact that this is even a conversation is a bad look for RJ. But I have more hope that RJ would get me an efficient 20 points than I do Cam Reddish. Because Cam Reddish, he's just out there. He, How many times are you going to get your jump shot blocked? How many times are you going to dribble off your foot? How many times are you just going to run to somebody's chest and, and throw the ball and just throw the ball up? He doesn't get that many opportunities, and too many of those opportunities look like what I just described. You don't even get that from RJ, and RJ is one of the, he's the top 20 in field goal attempts. And he, you haven't even seen as many of those from RJ as you've seen from Cam in a fraction of those attempts. He has gotten his opportunities. Has he been used correctly? No. Can he be used better? Yes, but he has not been efficient in any way with the opportunities that were given to him why are you so attached to him? Do I want the Knicks to give him away? No. But he has not earned minutes over any of the young players that have been inserted in the lineup. He has earned some of RJ's minutes. And frankly, that's still not going to be enough minutes for, for him to do the things that you want him to do. The things that you think he can do. It's not going to be enough minutes. He has not been as solid as the guys who are in the lineup. And if you want to compare him to McBride, stop. Because McBride is an on-the-ball screen defender and Cam isn't. They need McBride at the one or the two to stop the point of attack. Reddish's defense is an off-the-ball defense. He's of the -the off-the-ball defensive variety. It's been very good, don't get me wrong. But it's not nearly as vital to their defensive effort as McBride evidenced 
by the first 25 games, first 24 games of the season, or 23, because this is the second game he's been sitting down in the rotation. You look at all of those games, you have not seen a defensive effort as good as you have the last two games. Small sample size to be sure, but a significant one. Now, you see all these trades floating around, these trade ideas, all these rumors. I've been telling you all year, trade season has not begun yet. A lot of you guys don't get that. Why haven't the Knicks made a move? Why haven't the Knicks made a move? This guy has been traded. That guy has been traded. You guys don't get it, but we're here now. Within a week or so, you should you should be clamoring for some of these moves to be made. I talked about the Covington trade. It's not because I love Covington. It's because I do want consolidation on the roster. I don't like having guys on the roster, number one, making money and wanting to play and not playing. I think that's bad mojo. And for Derrick Rose, he deserves to have an opportunity to actually win something, so you might as well trade him. I'm perfectly happy with getting Covington. There are uses for Covington. Happy to get him. These camp, I saw Derrick Rose possibly at Dallas. I don't see a match with Dallas, frankly. I don't. I've seen Cam Reddish to the Lakers. The Lakers pretty much only have young players and quote-unquote young players. I don't know if they're trading their better young players for Cam Reddish. And they have second-round draft picks. Taking two second-round draft picks for Cam Reddish, not exactly a win for the Knicks. If you combine Reddish with Fournier and send him to the Lakers for a couple of expiring deals, I think that would be a win for the Knicks, frankly. I see some of you guys seeing those trade iterations. Nunn and Beverly for Fournier and Cam, a couple picks here. I've seen some of you comment on that. Saying, oh, the Knicks need Beverly or the Knicks need Nuns. Like, you understand that those guys are not going to play, right? Beverly might play in an instance here or there, but he's not going to be a part of the rotation. And Nuns probably not going to be a part of the rotation. They're trading guys who are not in the rotation currently, and they're gonna those guys that they get are not going to play, frankly. Spot minutes here and there. Foul trouble, injuries. Getting any kind of value for Reddish, getting any kind of value or getting any kind of of relief of Fournier's contracts off the books to me is a plus. Especially if you don't have to lose anyone who's in the current rotation, losing anyone that's really potentially part of the future of the team or whose value is undersold like a Quickly or McBride or even a Grimes whose value hasn't actually materialize on the court because they haven't gotten consistent minutes in their short careers but now they're going to get those minutes so now whatever their value is going to be you're going to see it they're either going to earn a greater value to the team or to the league or they're not trading those guys before they've gotten a chance to do it a la Obi Toppin a mistake Cam I think he's gotten his opportunities I don't care what anyone says and I'll say it again. Yes, he could be used differently. Yes, they could have done this with him or that with him. But what he was asked to do offensively, he was not good at doing it. Period. Period. And he should have been better. I'm perfectly fine trading Cam Reddish. Packing, packaging him with Fournier would be perfect. And as long as the Knicks don't take back any long-term money, I'm all for it. I think that's a win for the Knicks. I, think, I don't even think it's a lateral move. Because you can make the uh, the argument, obviously, that they shouldn't have signed Fournier and they shouldn't have traded for Cam. But that deal, I think it pretty much evens things out a little bit. 
they traded a first-round draft pick for Cam. They're not going to get a first-round draft pick back, but it was a top 18 protected pick. A first-round pick, nonetheless, but nothing out of this world. So I think at the end of the day, they'll be okay. Getting, getting rid of Fournier, undoing that mistake, and getting two picks back or getting a young player back with some potential from the Lakers because Rob Palenka is in love with Cam Reddish, so maybe he'll be willing to pay something else. I see there's a a three-team deal out there. That would probably mean that Fournier is going to go to someone else and not the Lakers because the Lakers don't want Fournier's contract. If that happens, I just think that's a win for the Knicks, even though they might not get everything back that they they lost in signing Fournier and trading Cam. I think if they get anything of value back and, and get salary cap relief, that's a win for the Knicks going forward. It's not going to necessarily lead to wins and losses on the floor because those rotation changes have already been made. But it'll get them in a better situation, I believe, trading in the future, getting rid of Fournier's contracts, getting getting his contract off the books. It'll help them, I believe. But that's it. We'll wrap it up. Next game up is the Charlotte Hornets. This is a game, again, the Knicks need to win. Need to win. And I understand some of you are rooting for the Knicks to lose. I don't function that way. I'm not going to argue whether it's good or bad. I have no hopes, even if the Knicks lost every game for the rest of the season. I don't think they're going to get one, Manana. So I don't function that way, personally. But I'm not going to argue with you that it's better for the franchise if they don't win games. I just, I'm just not going to be a party to it. They're trying to win games, and that's what I'm going to analyze. That's what I'm going to critique. I'm going to critique the future of the franchise, moves they should make going forward. But tanking is just, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm not going to sit around rooting for the team to lose. I think that's just ridiculous, personally. But we'll be here after that Charlotte game. Make sure you check out SportsEthos.com. Make sure you follow at SportsEthos, at Ethos Knicks. Until next time.